this season turn it up to 10 sort of like a bad habit we're gonna do it again ready or not we're gonna tie up some ends go tell a 36 try to grab all the friends we're back like we never left on track like a treble clef skip a beat on the seventh rest bring feast we don't pass them over we got the first fruits no way to show us this yoke is easy this burns light even with the loud mouth trying to eat at the mic even if we down south the humidity spike bales torn in two so we gonna be all right it's all grace till the half goes off heretics better run till the top blows off got them all stood still like a jaw full of botox time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop don't stop they're in need of it though through grace by faith they could easily grow new wave new age new way to see bro now one truth life one way to the throne Try it again. There we go. All right. It's Wednesday, July 12th, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number 435. Rob's on fire already, guys. My name is Caleb Hegg. And guess what? I, I don't have my soothing sipper cup today. I, I, I'm i like, what happened? It's all good. I'm Rob Vanoff without a yep. sipper cup. A sippy cup. Remember when your kids were little and they had the little, well, you still have it. The sipper cup, it's like the lid. I that still they have, have to don't worry. get anything out of so it spills. And sometimes they're double handled. <laughs> yep. We I need one of those for like adult, my adult sipper cup. Nice. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Rob's already on fire. The uh, pre-show talk was uh 
interesting to say the least. I guess I'm I guess I'm a bit on fire as well, eh? I'm on fire. We got a lot going on. <laughs> we we do. We have a lot going on. Um yes. All right. Did I already it's play good, our producer good credits? Fire. Yeah, well, if I already did. You know, in the Bible, oh, well. Caleb, there's good fire and there's bad fire. Well, today is going to be fire. Fire! Um, we got uh, we got some interesting things to talk about. You know, I feel like I feel like this show always comes back to a main theme and a main topic. That is Torah observance by Christians, right? Should Christians keep the Torah? There are some uh, Christian apologists out there who are really, really fighting against such a notion. You and, suppose that's because congregants keep coming up to them and saying, uh, hey, I've yeah, been I reading think, the I, Bible, like you said. We started a small group, like you said, <laughs> yeah. and we're reading the Bible, and, and like you said, and um, we have some questions. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's like, wait, time out. Wait, you're reading the Bible by yourself? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, I there's I think there's a lot of factors. The the thing is is that uh, you know with the rise of like the Hebrew roots movement, uh, I think that that's been the 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 biggest push, which is interesting because I think there's so much wrong with the Hebrew roots movement, and then and then because of that, what you have is you have uh, you have people responding to the Hebrew roots movement, um, and then tr- attempting to lump everybody who believes in Torah observance into the Hebrew roots movement, and so. I think you have congregants that are saying, whoa, 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 that's not me. I'm not Hebrew roots. And then saying, but I do believe in the Torah, like that, that we should be keeping the Torah. So today we're going back to this uh, same kind of topic again. The reason why is because we've gotten some great, uh, some great responses on our videos. And uh, we had a video recently, a, a short clip video uh, from one of our longer shows. And I don't know what show the, the long one was, but uh, the, the short clip is called Should Christians keep the Torah or something to that effect. Um, and so there's a response to that. We're going to get into all of that today. It's going to be amazing. Before we do, see Hag at TorahResource.com. That's one of the things that really keeps this show moving and going and, and uh, goes in different directions is your comments and your questions, which are emailed into us. And so that's uh, utilize this, uh, this email address, see Hag at TorahResource.com. That is my personal email address. I see everything that comes in there. <clears throat> pardon me. So send away. You can also call our comment line. You won't talk to us. Just talk to an answer machine, which means you can tell us how much you love us, hate us, agree with us, disagree with us, disagree with us. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want to talk about, you can talk about on there. Uh, not saying that we'll listen to everything if you just ramble on, but you can call it nonetheless, 253-465-3205, 253-465-3205. And let's not forget, you can listen to old shows and uh, find producer credits and all sorts of stuff on messiahmatters.com. And also, this show is produced by TorahResource.com. You should go to TorahResource and find all sorts of wonderful things, free and paid, and uh, hundreds and thousands of hours of all sorts of different th- stuff. A library membership, which you should have a library membership. If you don't, it's uh, less than $10. What is it? Less than ten $10 a, a month? How can you go wrong? Um, and not only do you get an abundance of content, but beyond that, you get to support us and support the ministry, and uh, we sure do appreciate it. Okay, and finally, the most important thing, the most important thing of all, make sure that you subscribe to this YouTube channel. I know it sounds oh, weird, hey, well, we can but it does help us. we plug the upcoming mini course on prayer, too. Let's plug. Let's plug it. Uh, there's this guy who's really good. 
His name is Rob Van Hoff, and he is giving a mini course on prayer. It is $9.99. It's a steal. Now, here's the thing. Here's what many it was people... I 20 bucks. I, am I, actually, is it 19 Actually, I don't know. I don't I remember. Think, I, so here's here's what I think. Let's, before I it's start just talking a low, about... It was just a small fee, oops, basically. Not, I, hang know. on just a sec. Wait, wait, wait. Let's do this Mike, the right Michael way. Michael, no. Yeah, let's do this the right way. Oh, that's not what I wanted. I'm all over the place today. Sound isn't working, then all of this. Register today. So if you go to torresource.com, go to the... Yeah, so we have it for $20. Now, here's the thing is that it's going to go up. It will go up after the 17th. It starts on Monday the 17th. It's a mini course. I believe there are four lectures. It's $20 It's going to be, yeah, basically, there's, there's going to be, I think, a couple short video short pieces though like go over the knowledge check quiz so a bunch of video content and some downloadable content and it's very it's designed for personal engagement so i'm encouraging people to get their own notebook there's a download a pdf and it's uh it's kind of an intense bible study you know I, I, on prayer too and we, we've gotten re so in the past this is not i'm not just saying this for the show in the past week i've gotten two different emails asking about liturgical prayer and asking about uh just personal prayer you know well, and, and so it's you know if this is something that you are interested I've got in something or, just just for you yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so um yeah it's it's going to be good, and I would encourage you go to Torah Resource. Just scroll to the bottom of the page. You can register now. It's twenty bucks. You can't beat it for twenty dollars. Uh, I think it's going to be edifying not only to the people who take it now, and it's it's not like a normal Torah Resource course either. It's uh, it's it's basically a product that you're going to be able to download and do your own knowledge checks and all those kind of stuff, all those kind of things. It's kind of a different kind of product than what we've produced before, and so we're thinking about moving and doing more of these kinds. Of, uh, of of products. So if you like it, let us know. Okay. End let's, plug. End plug. Here we go. Okay. Let's end uh, of quote. Oh, I wasn't supposed to read that. <laughs> oh, you know what? You know what? I forgot to open up our soundboard. All of your antics just reminded me that I should probably do that. Okay. Um, as I said, as I'm opening up my uh, my soundboard here, as I said earlier, we had a show or a, a short clip that we clipped from a longer show. And this is going to jump us. So we're going normally what we do is we'll do a topic or two, and then we'll jump into our, our main topic. I think we're going to just jump straight into our main topic today. And then uh, if we have time, we'll do other things. And I think we should probably have time. We'll see. Um, but this is the, this is the content that uh, everybody always wants to hear and see, which really focuses on whether or not Christians should be keeping the Torah, and and so uh, this is a response. This is a response to our video. The short video, I believe, is called "Should Christians Keep the Torah" or something to that effect. Should Christians keep the law? Or, it's in one. Of, it's re, it's a recent video that we put out. I should know these things. And uh, we had a response from someone named Tan. T A N. Tan writes in, and he. I think it's. I'm going to refer to Tan as a he, uh, but I'm not sure if it's a he or a she. But we'll go with he. Pronouns were not preferred. Pronouns were not provided. They no. weren't provided. Yes, it's, exactly. I, I so, mean, my, I'm guessing male, but I I don't want to because I know that there are other languages sure. that transliterate into English, and I'm ignorant of all that. So it's okay. We're going to go with he. So Tan writes in, he says, I don't agree to your discussion. Fair enough, a lot of people don't. 
is keeping the Torah required for Christians? That's the name of the video. Leviticus 12.3, Torah commands all males be circumcised on the eighth day. Now, uh, anyone who, pause, anyone who's familiar with our show will know that we have, uh, this is, uh, the chat room could probably take over for us at this point. They already know what we're going to say. You know, when I was going to my father's congregation, on Saturdays, I could go, I would sit down, I would look at the parashah, what was coming up, and I would be able to tell you, for the most part, what was going to be said, the analogies that would be used, and the stories that would be used to emphasize those analogies. I mean, I knew my father's teaching so well that I could pretty much already tell the person next to me this what is was going on. Awesome. This is that is a one of the fruits of discipleship. Because you what you're talking about, Caleb, is is where you become a living book. Right. You you have internalized the scriptures and you've internalized the commentarial discourse. And and it's not just any, it's a refined because you're we, because I've equally benefited from all your father's works. It's already been vetted. In other words, there's many publications that Tim's done, Tim Haig has done, where you can check the receipts, right? right? So we're benefiting from labor of someone, a believer who's gone before us. And it's one of the most, you know, and of course, you've read tons of books by other people. I've read tons of books by other people. And I'm telling you, as a believer in Yeshua, the, the treasures that by God's grace that we can learn from Tim um, are rare. They're and rare numerous. out there in the world. Yeah. So anyway. Numerous but, from and, him, and rare in the world. Okay, so anyway, with that said, I feel like our audience here, especially the chat room, is kind of in that same boat. We say circumcision, and they're like, oh, here we go. Let's see here. They're going to talk about, these are the analogies that'll be used. This is the story. You know, okay. That's fine. But here's the thing is that we continue to get these questions and we continue to get these, these comments, which tells me that the, at least the newer people, you know, we're getting, we're getting a good amount of, of subscribers every single, every single month. Uh, praise the Lord for that. And uh, so I have to assume that the new subscribers are not familiar with the discussions that we've had over the past 10 years. And so I apologize to the, to the audience who knows what we're going to say here. But I think that it's important to continue to emphasize these points. Well, I, I, I view this metaphorically as holding ground. Right. Like, like if you think of a military strategy and yep. like we're holding territory and, and we are in a way like poetically, you know, we're standing soldiers, you know, we're appointed to to guard and protect this territory, a particular territory. And there's newcomers that come and they're like, what is this territory? And so they have to kind of learn, learn the map. Say, so, yeah, you want to go hang out with those guys over there? Well, right. Go for well, it. Okay. But, but if you, here, here, you know, this territory, such and such is the order. Speaking of territory, it, it's interesting. So Rob pointed this out to me as we were uh, preparing to come on air. Because uh, basically how this works now, we've changed our method a little bit. I send Rob uh, the show notes that I have uh, on Tuesday. He's able then to look over them 
and prepare how he sees fit, and then we come in on Wednesday morning. We don't really dis- discuss our show before we come on, and I think that it is actually um, helping the the conversation. I think the conversation actually is more organic, right? Because we haven't actually discussed these things before. However, right before we came on, he says, no, Rob said to me, notice that he goes to Leviticus 12.3. Why would you go to Leviticus 12.3? Out of all the places in the Torah or in the in the Word of God, you know, the full 66 book canon, why would you go to Leviticus 12.3? This is a great observation. I mean, where would you go? Just, I mean, even for the people in the, in the chat room, we're talking about circumcision. We're talking about the command to circumcise. Where would you go if you're ta- if you're talking to someone about the command to circumcise? Where would you go? Is the first thing that comes to mind Leviticus twelve three? Now, yeah, this it's is so a, obs- it's obscure. It's it's a. I mean, it's not wrong. Obviously, it's not wrong. It's yeah, talking about yeah. you know when a when a woman gives birth, it's parashat tazria, right? It's if a woman gives birth to a male, da 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 da, female da 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 da. Um, and of course, we know in Gospel of Luke. It says it, it cites it when Yeshua is circumcised the eighth day, right. and that uh, Mary comes with the two turtle doves, right, and all this kind of stuff. But it's just it's such so an your passage to start <laughs> yeah. with. Yeah, the, the, oh, here's here's the reason why. I mean, I think now Rob said something different than me. He said because Rob said to me, "Where does your mind go when you think of circumcision?" And my mind goes directly to Exodus twelve. Why? Because if you are a stranger, if you're a Gentile, what happens? You have to be circumcised to eat the Passover. But what happens if you're circumcised? The whole law applies to you, right? Yet now you are a covenant member. So now you have to keep the whole law. So the yeah, it's Gentile- not like the next year comes along and Passover is like, you know, this I, time you guys. I that, screwed up. I was in it. I, I, I thought <laughs> I'd try it. It doesn't work. It, it's not that way. Yeah, you know, exactly. And not, not only that, but it's not just Passover right? You get circumcised. And now what applies to you? The kosher laws, the Sabbath, the, you know, the festivals, everything applies to you. You go through the holiness code of Leviticus 16 and following, and and these laws are your constitution. And, you know, uh, Block, actually, it's interesting. I have the book right here. Uh, in this book, The Gospel According to Moses, which, by the way, every time I pick this book up, you can see how far I've gotten. Why I've read that much? Probably 20 times, because I keep going back. You know, and it's like every time I pick it up, there's another gem that I that I pick up. But he says, in this, he says, the Torah was not a burden. I'm paraphrasing here. He says, the Torah was not seen as a burden by Israel. Rather, it was seen as a wonderful thing because it was the stipulations of the covenant. They were now, they were now in a covenant relationship with this great king, with this, with with the Almighty God, and that's a wonderful thing. You know, it's it's like the peasant who is the the king sees the peasant and says, "Come into my palace and be my be you know hang out with me." Here's what you got. Here's the the you know here's the contract. Come on in. Anyway, and uh, our chat room love is bigger. Sorry, my allergies are killing me today. Uh, love is bigger. If you see me touching my face, that's why. Uh, love is bigger. Is, uh, says Genesis, and this is exactly what, what Rob said. Right? We go to what Genesis maybe twelve, but probably more. Uh, 17, you know, 17 is, is where I would get covenant, yeah. right? Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. And so and, uh, this isn't a dig necessarily on tan because, you know, but it's an odd place to go because but it, I but think it, that- it, But it, it speaks to back to 
what you were talking about, the predictable speech, as you call it, like you sit down on the Shabbat, you know what the Torah portion is, and you're like, okay, Tim's teaching today. I've heard him teach on this Torah portion 20 times, maybe. So I'm pretty, you know, I know what he's going to emphasize, right? Um, and coming from the position that affirms the doctrines of grace, you know, you, and the the centrality of Yeshua, all these things, you know, are core pieces to to read the Torah for us. Now, I wanted to say, there's another point too that you might think some people might think John seven because Yeshua says, "Look, you circumcise a person on the seventh day, or, or sorry, on the eighth day, even if it's on the Sabbath." so that the law of Moses wouldn't be broken. And then it says, not, not that circumcision is from Moses, because it's from the fathers. So Yeshua in John 7 actually talks about that contrast. But yet, yes, it's, it's okay to think Moses gave us circumcision, but Yeshua makes a point to say, but, but it's not actually from Moses, it's actually from the fathers, meaning Moses is a servant of the Abrahamic covenant and the, and the commandments given at Torah are, are given to uh, provide structure and definition to who God's people promised to Abraham, right? Fulfilling that. Um, so what's what your, is what's the your... nature of their relationship with God? And that's what covenant is. The word covenant is the, the shape and structure and boundaries and benefits of the covenant of the relationship with God. You can't have a relationship with God outside of the covenant that he made with Abraham. There's nowhere yes. to go. There's no shalom out there in the world. You can't go, you know what? I think I'm going to go find peace somewhere else, or I'm going to go find blessing somewhere else. Guess what? It'll all be man-made. There is no access to any blessing or shalom in this world, in all of creation, outside of the one initiated by the creator, with Abraham, that in you all the nations of the seed will be blessed. And as we know from Romans 15, Yeshua is the mediator. He came to fulfill, right, to, to ensure and secure and finalize, right, make that payment. So, okay, hang on just a sec, because what you're talking about actually off, plays, plays <laughs> I know, play, this plays right, I love that we haven't even gotten to his question yet, but uh, th this plays right into Paul's que uh, question in the chat room. Paul asks, could a Gentile who is not circumcised celebrate the Passover, but not eat the Passover lamb? Yeah. Is that correct? And here's the thing, okay, I now, according to Torah, it's simply eating the Passover lamb that you have to be circumcised to do. However, let's ask this question on the back of Paul's question and on what Rob just said. Is a family going to say, come on in and, and celebrate the Passover with us if they're not covenant members? Now, there could be, there could be instances. I can see, I can think of instances. However, if you're talking about the first century, you can't enter the uh, the the city of of Jerusalem uh, unless you're ritually clean. They declared all of Jerusalem ritually a ritual clean space, and so um, I I would say it's possible, but ultimately. What's the point? You, why would you celebrate the Passover if you're not in covenant relationship with God? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. That would be like, yeah, you know, my neighbors invited us over to a Kwanzaa celebration. <laughs> you know, it would be like, and okay, this is another, this gets into another 
this gets into the weeds of who part, who, you know, what's our duty? What is good stewardship of protecting the Lord's supper? Like, do we, you know, we've talked about closed communion before. And now while we're obviously nuancing the idea of communion and wanting to qualify that as specifically either talking about Passovers in the diaspora specifically, sure. or a rehearsal of it that was that was taller, you know, was allowed and permissible, but not as a replacement of. Um, still, Paul makes it clear in Corinthians. He's like, look, the individual person who participates without that self inspection is in. They're walking a dangerous line, right? And it to me, I, I, re, I relate it to just the simple commandment: don't take the name of the Lord's the name of the Lord in vain. It doesn't mean cursing or swearing. It means it means do something and say, "I'm doing this for I don't know." Like I, I'm right. like He's my God, you know. If you and people do that, you know, if people honor God with their lips and their hearts are far from Him. That's that that phrase is from Isaiah. So. There's okay. I, there's a couple of there's a couple of things here. First of all, Johnny asks in the in the uh, chat room. Can you clarify, please? When you said that the whole law applies to those who are circumcised, do you mean that they are trying to gain salvation that is convert by works? Here's the thing: is that uh, I I believe that. Uh, the covenant is for all mankind. In, in, in the stipulations of the covenant, and what I mean by that is, sin is sin. Sin is defined by the the stipulations yeah. of the of the covenant. And so, it doesn't matter if you're in covenant relationship with God or not. Sin is sin. However, what my point is is that the the covenant is laid out by God to His people. This is our roadmap for morality. And so we understand that this is the more, the the roadmap for morality. When we come into these into the covenant, we are bound by the covenant. Now, this is not we're not going to lose our salvation by by you know if I lie, it doesn't mean that I'm no longer in covenant relationship with God. Why? Now, this is the part that I think we will get to here shortly. Um, but ultimately, I'll, I'll give you the end before I before we get to it. I'll, I'll show you my my cards right, and the the point here is that we are still in covenant relationship with God because of Christ. It is his sacrifice, his payment that allows us to continue in that covenant relationship. If we didn't have Christ, as many don't, then what happens? We sin, and now we are guilty of that. We do have to pay that price. But my point, going back to Johnny's it's, question... It's why, it's why Abraham stayed in the covenant. It's why Moses stayed in the covenant. It's why King David stayed in the covenant was because of Christ. Yep. Right? I mean um yeah. Should we get should we get back we, to should we get back to the actual question because we haven't gone very far have we? Okay, so sure. let, let's go back to Tan. Tan says, "So circumcision is a command given in Torah." That's true it is. Yet the New Testament says that if anyone came to faith in Jesus and then he references and this is interesting as well. The references here are, are interesting. 1 Corinthians 7.18, they are not to seek for circumcision. Okay. okay I wonder what translation. Yeah, it, it means let's, they shouldn't let's, convert to become part of the... Yeah, it means don't convert to... Let's, let's stop to, here because the interesting thing is, is that I use this passage, the 1 Corinthians 7.18 passage, I use this passage to uphold Torah observance by Christians. So let me move this over here so that I'm not looking down. 
let's get some context here. And uh, he's talking about husbands and wives, so on and so forth. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. By the way, he's talking case law here. Paul is talking about the laws of Torah. He's talking about Torah for the believer. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? Now, there's translation issues here, but was any, uh, was any man called circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be uncircumcised. Now, check this out. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commandments of God. So the question that I would have for Tan in this specific passage, which he referenced is, as you have already noted, circumcision is a command in the Torah. So how can Paul say circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping the commands of God? Isn't circumcision one of the commands of God? Yeah, yeah. And and then verse 20, each man must remain in the condition in which he was called. It, that doesn't mean if you were a pagan, stay a pagan. Exactly. If you yes. were, uh, if you were a, uh, I don't know, what was the funny Messiah uh, or the mystery Bible theater? If you were into Egyptian mysteries or a Tibetan Buddhism, yeah, I see, I see, that, I see. If you were called this, there, stay there. I see this stay guy there. coming and being like, "Hello, um, hello, my, uh, my name's Jonah, and uh, I, I believe I, I've been in the cult of Mithra." And then Paul's like, "You know what? Stay there." You need yeah. to stay How can there. You, so back to verse 17, let it, let him walk in the calling. What does walk mean throughout the Bible? Walk is walking in the Torah. Yeah. Yeah. Walking yes. is, the what is yes. it? Psalm 119 begins. What are those who walk in, in the Torah? The idea of walking, what it means is that your learning of an application of the Torah comes from your new creation life at, in as faith birthed from above in Messiah Yeshua. And to not be uh, bullied, allow yourself to be bullied or coerced, that you need to join some Jewish sect in order to be acceptable because they're going to be telling you that the Torah does not apply to you. Because they're going to they're going to make you feel like an outsider. They're going to make you feel like you don't belong. Like salvation's not for you because unless you join their group, you're not even on God's plan. And Paul is absolutely vigil, hyper vigilant to protect new believers from among the nations from those kinds of poisonous yes. sectarian claims yes. to try to manipulate and coerce people into their club. And and we see it in the, it's already happening with Yeshua with the whole hand washing, right? Right. You have Jew, Jews judging other Jews. Well, you, you're not included. You're you're not hand washing your hands the right. You're not fasting on the right days. Like if if Jews are doing to that to other Jews, what what do you think they were doing to Gentiles? They're saying, look, you got to do a backflip. You got to do three somersaults. You got to wait a year, come back. We got to test. We're going to inspect your house for how you wash your pots. You I might mean, have to it, divorce your wife. <laughs> like, yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And so. 
And to clarify 18, you're correct, Caleb, that this is about translation. If a man was called who had already, the Greek is a unique uh, construction here, and I know it looks simple in the English, but basically it means if you came to faith in Yeshua and you had already become a member of one of these sectarian groups, Yes, you have to leave. You can't still be in that sectarian group, but it's a, but it but it doesn't. It says don't the word unsurpassed. It says don't stretch your foreskin. That's Yikes. the actual. They called it epispasm, right? It actually said it's Ooh. telling that person. It's like look, because they're going wow. Well, I was physically circumcised, but I did it under the guise of joining this sectarian group, and now I've come to faith in Messiah. What do I do? Paul's like, okay. Yeah, don't don't do what these other Jews had done in the time of the Maccabees, which was try to remove this mark. He's he's like saying, actually, you know, you got to retain. Yeah, this is a mark of the covenant, so it's we're going to accept that as valid. But yeah, you're no longer part of that sectarian group. You're you you know you're going to learn what it means to be a disciple of Yeshua. Then it says, has anyone been called in uncircumcision? That is. Are you called in what's called acrobustia? And that's the shame term, foreskin. And he says, let him, and let him not be circumcised. It means don't let him convert. You know, that person needs to uh, to not get and give into that temptation to be acceptable to the peritome group, which are the bullies. So we have to we have to read this in conjunction with Galatians. You know, for example. I've been asked time and time and time again uh, for for uh, receipts on on the idea that the uh, term circumcision is a shorthand for a man-made ritual of conversion. I did an entire video on this. It's about a half an hour long. You can go look at it. It's on my personal website, pronomian.com. It's, I think, the third or fourth installment of my uh, uh, of my study in Acts, uh, Acts 15. And it's titled as such, like, circumcision is shorthand or circumcision or something like that. I would encourage you, if you have questions about this, I go through uh, a huge passage in in Josephus uh, where he talks about the King Isaacs, and, and uh, I talk about where we're getting these ideas that circumcision was a shorthand for a conversion process. It's not simply from our mind. We're not just pulling this out of thin air. There's actual places in ancient literature that you can look at where they're using the same kind of language. Okay, so let's keep going because he because Tan moves on to another, and actually, okay, before we do this, I got I to gotta slow down. Let's go back to Rod uh, in the chat room. Rod says, we've been uncomfortable using the Passover celebration as outreach. We're more comfortable having those conversations outside of that. I agree completely. And then coming together as those who belong to him, keeping the Passover. I, I agree with this. However, there have been several instances in my personal life where, the, where I have made exceptions to this. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now, uh, there's been several times when we've had uh, women who are are believers and desperately want to celebrate the Passover. Uh, we don't have a Passover lamb, obviously. There's no temple, so we can't have a Passover lamb. And they've wanted to bring their husbands. Their husbands are not necessarily, you know, they don't seem to be in covenant relationship with with God. And we've allowed that. We've said absolutely, come, come on in. You know, we will, and we're hoping in that case that the the husband will see and understand and say, yeah, okay, this is great. And this last Passover, and I know I will get, I'll get filleted for this one in the comments. This last Passover, uh, we had uh, friends who had just moved here. We just met them, uh, and solid believers, 
solid, solid believers, uh, and and really encouraging. Actually, uh, the husband is a is in ministry and just outstanding people. Um, he was going to be gone. He's in the military, and she was going to come uh, with her children to our Passover seder. Her father was flying in, and she said, "Hey, would it be okay if my dad came?" Now, once again, husband's out of town. We said absolutely. Now, I didn't know this wouldn't have mattered to me anyway. But I didn't know until uh, after the meal that he's a Roman Catholic. And uh, I actually thought, okay, well, maybe the Lord brought him here for a very specific reason. you know. And the upside to this was after the Passover meal that we had, um, we had a fantastic conversation. He and I had a very good conversation about the sacraments, about transubstantiation, about why I disagree with the Roman Catholic Church on uh, the Eucharist, and why I think that it's the Passover. So I don't, I mean, I fully assume that he's still a Roman Catholic and that he's still taking the Eucharist. However, I'm hoping and praying that our Passover, that the Passover experience that he had was one that uh, will. Yeah, you never know what. Good seed yeah. was sown there. Yeah, you don't yeah. need to judge it. I I, I like that. I, I'm okay, glad let's. That, uh, but I but I tend that. to I tend to agree with Rod though. I I don't like using the Passover as I'm not trying to bring people who, in to my Passover meal who are, because I see it as a family meal. Even okay, with this is good and I agree too. And and this concerns me. Have you ever had? We've had this many times. Pamphlets on our door from Jehovah's Witnesses inviting oh, yeah. us to a Nissan 14 meal. <laughs> and it's right. They basically, and they have, well, Jesus kept the Passover and come to our special. And that's like, they're using it explicitly as an outreach. And I think as a kind of, to try to wedge in a space where we're different than your church, you probably right. go to. Yep. We're doing something Jesus did that your church probably isn't. And so come help, you know, come join us. But that's, yeah. That gives me the creeps. <laughs> yeah, well, not only that, but I, I mean, once again, I, I think that it should be believers having a family meal together. And so every or once primary, in a while, you're yeah, gonna, yeah, you're going to every once in a while, you're going to have those those instances where there's an exception made. But for the most part, we're coming together to celebrate and to remember, do this in remembrance of me, to remember the, our, our Lord and what he did. All right, let's keep going, because the next reference that we have here from Tan is also one that I think is greatly misunderstood by so many Christians today. And this is unfortunate. Galatians 5, 1 through 6. And this is what Tan says about it. He says, Galatians 5, 1 through 6. If you be circumcised, Christ profit you nothing. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Amen. So let's go to Galatians Six, I'm sorry, five, one through six. Let's read the whole passage here. And this is what it says. Remember that Paul, Paul has come in three by using Abraham as the model of salvation by faith, right? And what does he say? He's talking about the notion that circumcision, that is, and I'm fully convinced that this is the, uh, a reference to man-made conversion. Man-made conversion is not going to profit you anything. And he uses Abraham and shows faith came first, then he was circumcised, and his circumcision did not count to him as righteousness. But Especially, the faith... Yeah, we want to read, bring Romans 4 into this. But go ahead, keep going. Yes. Okay, so, well, do you want to bring Romans 4 in right no, now? No, I mean, that's he makes the exact same point <clears throat> using a little more detail on the that 
and says the true definition of circumcision. Circumcision is a seal of the righteousness that he already had by faith. In other words, Paul is right. clarifying a doctrine of circumcision in Romans 4. He's affirming yeah. it, and he's also saying, if you've got a circumcision that's different than what is represented by Abraham as having been righteous by faith, which we learn in Genesis 15, and that circumcision was a mark of that covenant relationship with God that was indeed commanded, but subsequent to genuine faith and, and imputed righteousness, then you've got the wrong circumcision. In other words, if, if you've got a circumcision other than what Paul talks about in Romans 4 or in Galatians, then it's a sectarian or man-made, as Caleb put it, uh, ritual that is defined, uh, that is serving to preserve like local uh, power structures, like you know. And there's the, a great question. Which, and from it didn't it. have to be Pharisee. It could be, it, you know, someone could presumably someone could have converted under the Sadducean, right, or maybe even to the Samaritans. You know, right. there and they would have all had circumcision, or or and if the Essenes, which it seems it's it's likely out, you know, from the we learned about from Qumran, but they had cell groups everywhere. Presumably, a foreigner could convert into the Essene community. So, but would the Pharisee look at that as legit? No. Would this? You know what I mean? So we got it. But 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 the mo the most important point about all of this is that they if you were uncircumcised. They did not see you as in covenant relationship. And so if you went and you got circumcised by this group over here, you're still, according to this group over here, you're still not in covenant with God. So you need to do it according to us. Right. And uh, defiantly Trill in the chat room says, curious on y'all's opinion about why Paul still refers to himself as a Pharisee at least twice and in different situations in reference to no longer being a part of a sect. I great question first of all but I will I will go first and then I will kick it to to Rob. Number 1, Paul did not find his salvation. He didn't think he was in covenant relationship with God because he was a Pharisee. What he did was he aligned himself with a theological stance on the Torah and the way to keep the Torah. But he but Paul didn't say I'm a Pharisee because he thought, "Hey, now I'm saved." That shows that I'm in covenant relationship right, with God. Right. He saw he found his covenant relationship with God through Christ and Christ alone. And this is exactly when we say Torah observance by Christians, we're not saying that you need to find salvation. This is this needs to be made extremely clear. And for any pastors who are writing down notes on how to uh, how to respond to this, that's fine. <laughs> but this needs to be caught. We are not in any way saying that your Torah observance, whether it be whatever it is, is going to gain you salvation. You are in covenant relationship with God, and therefore we keep the covenant. And I think that the majority of evangelical pastors would agree with this. You, you don't... This is a biblical walk with God. Yeah, you don't commit adultery, you don't murder, you don't steal, you don't lie. These are all Torah commands, by the way, right? You don't cheat. And so why? Well, we do it because we love God and because this is the morality of our king and what we believe has been set forward for us. Now, the only difference is probably four, five different commands that the church has has said are no more, circumcision being one of them. But ultimately, in this passage, and let's go back to Galatians 5.1. I'm sorry, did you want to uh, talk about... Yeah, I would Paul? just say, there, I, I, yeah, I like that. I, I believe Paul was a proud card-carrying member of Pharisee to his dying day. Why? Because he his hope 
was to reform the right. Pharisaic uh, sect. He believed that there was hope because of the things like that they affirmed resurrection of the dead, um, the calendar, um, uh, the, you know, all, all manner of things that were good about the Pharisees. But Paul also knew Yeshua's criticisms of the Pharisees. And Paul would absolutely agree with Yeshua on all these points to saying, look, the Pharisees need help. Um, but the fact that he was still saying, I'm a Pharisee, meaning he said, him, you know, he represented himself as an authority so that he could teach other Pharisees the, the truth. We could see this with Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea. These are other Pharisees, we're told, who believed in Yeshua. And it's that it's that trust in Yeshua that is is what brings the clarity of what are the proper criticisms, where is Phariseeism gone wrong when there's so much good in it? Um, right? Because there, there's no record in the Bible of Sadducees coming to faith or Essenes. You know, we do have some Samaritans that come to faith and priests, of course, and Pharisees. So basically priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, or sorry, priests, Pharisees, and Samaritans. There you go come to faith. Um, and, so, and in that coming to faith, they had to renegotiate their understanding of what it mean, meant to be a priest, what it meant to be a Pharisee, what it meant to be a Samaritan. Samaritans had the most new culture to, to grasp because they had to say, wow, it is Jerusalem after all, the place to worship. The Davidic kingdom and the prophetic, uh, the prophets to, to you know, in what we call the Tanakh, you know, all the prophets in the writings and history surrounding Jerusalem as God's chosen city is all true. Where Samaritans have been taught none of that was true, but they cling, they were clinging to a, a version of the Torah of Moses that put central uh, centrality to Mount Gerizim. And so a Samaritan believer would have had to negotiate all that but would they still call themselves Samaritan? Maybe because they were geographically affiliated with Samaria. But by faith, they would have to say, yeah, I'm a kind of a hybrid person. I'm a Samaritan who believes in the centrality of Jerusalem and the Davidic king because Yeshua is that Messiah, is that one. So so anyway. let's 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 pause for a second. Let's go ahead and read uh, Galatians 5 here for a few seconds. It says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So, okay, exactly. That's where a lot of pastors might say, see, that's the Torah of Moses. Right. So now, now what has snuck in is this twisted hermeneutic that now pits God's word against God's word. Exactly. We've got to be on guard for that. And pits Paul against Paul. If Paul is this, if if Paul wrote Galatians and he wrote Romans, which I believe he did, Paul continually in Romans talks about how the law is the law of freedom. It's the the law is spiritual. The law is good. What else does it say? I delight uh, after the Torah of God in my inner in the inner man. It, it's all Psalm one nineteen. And, and does yeah. faith therefore nullify the law? May it never be. It establishes it. It's so, holy I mean, and just and good. Exactly. And so the point simply is, is that what you're, what, what is going on here in such an argument, and I'm not saying, I, I mean, 
Well, I'll say it. Tan is doing this as are others who are basically are going to say that the, that the law has been done away with. You're making Paul into, into a schizophrenic. He's saying one thing in one letter and he's saying another thing in another letter. No, this Some is people, not what we have I've to do. I've talked to people who are happy to make that claim. Uh, yes, because what uh, they'll yeah, say yeah. is, they'll say both. They'll say Paul is a schizophrenic and there's no reason why we need him in the Bible. And they're ready to just jettison Paul from the scripture. But clearly Tan is not saying that because Tan is, Tan right, is referencing right. him he, as scripture. Right, right. And the point here is simply this, as believers who believe in a canon, what we have to do is we have to make the script, we have to allow the scriptures, not make, but we have to allow the scriptures to agree with themselves. We can't pit them against each other. That doesn't work. Let's keep going. So he says, behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, now... What could this mean? If the Torah tells us that we have to be circumcised, and it says it's forever and throughout all your generations, and Yeshua affirms it in Matthew 5, 17 and following, as well as Luke, then what do we, what do, we do with this? Well, clearly circumcision has to mean something else besides the command to cut away the fl flesh of the skin as a sign of the covenant. And there's an easy answer to this, which is supported by historical evidence, that circumcision is a shorthand for a man-made ritual of conversion. So if you receive this man-made ritual of conversion, Christ will be of no benefit to you. What he's saying is you're not going to find righteousness through this. Rather, righteousness comes through faith in God. You have to become a covenant member. Now, does that mean that the, the physical act of circumcision is wrong? No. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision, that is the ritual of conversion, that he is right. under the obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. And I would agree. If you think that you... Look, even if your intentions are right, if you think that that uh, circumcise, that getting circumcised is going to give you righteousness, you have missed the boat. Exactly. You are not going to be. You are not going to find righteousness through being circumcised. That's Abraham just not the way that goes. Would have told you that exactly. Abraham would himself would himself recognized that his his the righteousness. And again, we learned back from Genesis fifteen that that his relationship with God is based on his faith, not on his works, and that his the works that God desires from Abraham stem from that sound relationship that they have based on faith. Not that Abraham is, that God's just giving Abraham these obstacle courses of, oh, let me try this. Okay. I only, now do this. And then God's like the judge, like, okay, he did the high jump. He did okay. Hurdles. Uh, you missed a couple, Abraham. Sorry. You're going to go work on your hurdle hurdles and then I'll get your righteousness. Right. It's, it's not that way. It's righteousness based on faith. Abraham understood that, and he would say the same thing. Yeah, so there's going to be a... I thought we might get to it today. We won't. But next week, we got to talk about this, because one of the common responses to the... If, you know, there's it, it, there's moves that have to be made by people who are in the theological realm. And one of the moves that will be made is, okay, yeah, we're not going to get out, out of the idea that, uh, that, that Jews need to keep the Torah, right? Or that the Torah is somehow still, still uh, you know, applicable today. So what, what's the next move? Well, oftentimes the next move is, well, the Torah was given to Israel, and I'm not part of Israel, I'm part of the church. There's an entire theological uh, narrative that goes on all the way starting back, I mean, we're talking over a thousand years ago, 
that plays into uh, even up into the Reformation and into the dispensational era, you know, people trying to reconcile the idea, okay, well, what do we do with this? Well, the church has to be different than Israel. Why? Because in the end times, Israel comes back and the Torah seems to be followed by Israel again. So you have dispensational, the rise of dispensationalism. We'll talk about all as that. An attempt to, as an attempt to resolve. Yeah, exactly. To resolve the, but the at idea least, that... at least the dispensationalists seem to have been spending more time listening to the Bible. You know what I mean? Agreed. Like the, it, even though we would say they didn't listen long enough before they started talking, it's like someone. <laughs> no, there's. There, like I, saying, I wouldn't even say that. What I, what I would say is that there is this ingrained want to say I don't have to keep the Sabbath, the festivals, circumcision, and the kosher laws. There's four things. And by the way, this goes back to the Fiscus Judaicus. There's a great book written on this. Uh, we've talked about this already. But ultimately, there's only four things. You talk to a Christian about lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, murder, oh, those things. No, no, no. We, we want to keep those things. But you talk about the four things. There's just four things. You talk about those four things. No, we're getting rid of those. Why? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous to say that we don't need to keep these four things. And the funny thing is, is that you have Christian apologists you know, what was Durbin the is thing. It, 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 what? So, so circumcision, Sabbath, festivals, kosher laws. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I was thinking Sabbath and festivals together. Okay. You have you have Durbin, you know, who at one point said that uh, if you keep the Sabbath, uh, you're you're a capital H heretic. Well, so he's building a whole castle on a sandy interpretation of Romans five. Yeah, but then he won't sit down and talk to us about it. That's the interesting thing. You know, he won't, he will not sit down and talk about it. Why? Because he knows that he's going to get pegged. You can't, you can't apologize yourself out of that one. It's not, it's not going to work. Let's keep going with, uh, let's keep going with, uh, Tan. Tan says this. So after his quote of Galatians 5, 1 through 6, he says, Acts 15. Ah, oh, perfect. <laughs> Acts 15, 1 through 29. This is a perfect place for me to plug Caleb my book. salivating. Yeah, exactly. That's my, that's my favorite cup of <laughs> yeah, coffee. That's my favorite pizza right there. Yeah, exactly. Go buy my book. Uh, it's uh, pronomian.com. You can find my Acts commentary, my commentary on the book of Acts. I have a whole, uh, the largest chapter is on Acts 15. You can also go to Pronomian and watch my six-part series on Acts 15, which I just got finished doing. It's six parts. Uh, it's a video. It's all free. The video is all free. You have to pay for the book, but the, the videos are free. I go through this verse by verse, and therefore, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this. However, we'll, we'll, we'll finish Tan's comment here, and then I'll make one comment, then I'll kick it over to Rob. We'll probably be done for the day. Acts 15, 1 through 29. The Hebrew teachers of their days were teaching that circumcision was required. Exactly. Tan's got it here. What is circumcision? Conversion. It's not just the physical cutting away of the foreskin. So he, he says they were teaching that circumcision was required. And I would add to Tan's comment, they were teaching that it was required for salvation. So the first Jerusalem council, this is back to Tan's comment. So the first Jerusalem council included Peter, James, and Paul discussed the matter, and it wasn't required for all Gentile believers. This is an interesting point that he makes. Was it then required for Jews? He's right that the, that they decide that the Gentiles don't have to don't have to convert, right? But if if we're saying Torah here, if this if this is really talking about Torah observance, which I strenuously object to. Then the uh, then the question would be, what about the Jews? Do you have Jews in your in your? Do you have people who are from uh, the line of Jacob, 
in your church today, are they keeping the Torah? Are they being circumcised? Are they keeping a kosher diet? Are they keeping the festivals? If not, why not? So he goes on. So if circumcision was a Torah command, isn't required under Jesus, then those who follow Jesus aren't required to keep the Torah. This logic breaks down at the end. And I'll tell you why. I've said this many times, and once again, our chat room is going to know right where I'm going. I call this the Mormon, it's like the Mormon debate, right? What is being said by Tan here is you have revelation from God where God tells us that the that the Torah is forever and it's throughout all your generations. You have then people come along in history. This is not just Tan is cl- claiming that it's Christ and the disciples who come along and say, you know what? God was wrong. Don't listen to God. Don't listen to the Torah that was given. Don't the direct word from God. Don't listen to that. Instead, listen to us, and we're going to tell you the opposite of what this was said in God's Marcian, word. Right? I mean, it's it's exactly. the Old Testament God is is different. Right. A, and um, we see it in Muhammad. Muhammad does this. We see this Mormon, in jo- yeah. Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith does this. And guess what? The, the Christian, the, the evangelical Christians will always tell you, no, 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 jo- Joseph Smith said things against the Bible. Well, according to standard evangelical theology, so did Paul and Christ, right? And Tan is telling us right here that the Jerusalem Council is telling uh, the Gentiles, don't listen to God and what he said. Instead, listen to us. If this is what the Jerusalem Council determined, and if this is what Christ spoke, and if this is what Paul taught, guess what? They're false teachers. Now, I don't believe that. Instead, what we have to do is see how they line up with the Torah. Instead of instead of saying they're false teachers because they spoke against the what God had said, we have to see how they actually line up. So there's two options here. One, either the Torah is right and the revelation to God from God is correct, and then we then what and we have endures, to do and, and, and endures and, and Christ agreed and Paul agreed and the Jerusalem Council agreed, or the Torah is correct and Christ. Paul and the Jerusalem Council are false and wrong, and we have to reject them. Now, Israel and Judaism have done the latter. They take I, that one. Yeah, they take that one. I reject that. Christ is the Messiah. Paul is a true teacher. There is a sixty-six book canon, and the disciples were right. It's strange, though. Okay, I, let's pause at this moment. That first option, Caleb, that you described—the one that Judaism has taken—it's strange that there are major movements in the evangelical world that agree with that and then try to argue for Jesus to be practitioners of Judaism on accepting those claims to some degree. It's ridiculous. Even Messianics in Israel, some some of them agree with Judaism over against the, the Bible. It's it's a strange it's it's a strange world, people. If you don't know it already, <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I mean, ultimately, I. But here, like, here's another bit. Paul makes it clear in Romans that there's such thing as Jews who are physically circumcised but who don't keep the Torah, and right. he says it doesn't benefit you. You might as well be acrobustia. You might as well be foreskins because you you don't. And and we know if you read in Josephus, Caleb, I don't know if you addressed it in your videos, but 
Um, you talked about Izadis, but there's also where we learn from Josephus and elsewhere of under the Maccabees where they forced circumcised, you know, they took new territory, forced circumcised all the males. It says you're now Judeans and you owe tax. Okay. Are, has it, it's circumcision completely removed from covenantal discourse right? to serve the power of a, a uh, an empirical force, you know, empire, meaning, uh, you know, wanting to extend territory and raise more wealth for themselves. Yeah. And so, and so circumcision does not save. Um, what Paul's talking about in Romans five are what Caleb said here. It is, it, it, it has to do with um, what I, what I call sectarianism or man-made group groups with their man-made special laws of we really represent Israel and you have to do it our way. And, you know, and these are, this is one of the list of things you have to do to be recognized as righteous. And it's anti-gospel because the only way to be recognized righteous from the Torah itself, Paul tells again and again, is exemplified for us in our father, Abraham. We still have these sectarian groups, by the way, today. And I'll give you an example of one. Rob and I have both had Itzhak Shapiro tell us numerous times, you don't know what you're talking about because you're not Jewish. We're not Jewish. Right? Oh, so I'm Jewish. You need to listen to me. He's an idiot, but he but he claims that we should listen to him because he's Jewish. So you have a theological ignoramus who... That is who, just... It is so funny. It yeah. is. It, it is... If it weren't... If it weren't so sad, it is it, really sad because he's got people following him. But the, but he's such he's such a moron when it comes to theology that he that's the only argument he can use. I'm Jewish, that's so you have leverage. to listen to me. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm all Jewish, he's got. and so I dress like a rabbi and I teach and I'll use Hebrew and I'll do this. I'll, I'll quote all these rabbis, <laughs> right? And there's money to be made there, apparently. Obviously, it's snake oil salesmanship. But I but he doesn't believe that. People like him have bought into their own. And not only that, he moronic, believes in hastening redemption. So that means, oh, moronic, look, all you guys city. have to do more, do more commandments. Jesus will come back sooner. I'm making up you, words over here. If you do it right. I got so verklempt that I'm making up words over here. All right. That's going to do it for us today. We're going to talk. I, I can't wait. I can't wait until next week. Why? We're going to talk about the new covenant. Let's talk about the new covenant. By the way, I have started a new series on pronomian.com. I'm talking all about covenants. Okay. I've gone through uh, a couple of them already. I've done an intro. I did a, uh, uh, the covenant of grants. I've done the suzerain vassal treaty, which I think comes out for the public, uh, on Friday. I, uh, I've done, and then I'm doing uh, dispensationalism. I'm going to do the new covenant, uh, all this. It's, it's a lot of fun for me, but I would encourage you to go check them out. If you want to go check out my uh, videos on Acts 15. I think it'll, we can expand more on even the, the conversation today. I bring that up because next week we will talk about the New Covenant and uh, bring it into, once again, Torah observance, something that I thought was we were going to get to today, but we did not. All right. 
chegg@torahresource.com, C-H-E-G-G at torahresource.com. Send us uh, your comments, your thoughts, all that on this video, this topic, whatever you want to do. Uh, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. We will be back, Lord willing, next week where we will talk about Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 and following. And don't forget uh, our Mystery Bible Theater, Bible Theater 3000. 3000 on Fridays. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why? Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.